This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space, a live forum for courageous conversations. Safe Space is a weekly interview show about subjects that are hard to talk about because they're associated with stigma, shame, and silence. Safe Space aims to provide a respectful forum to talk in depth about subjects we would sometimes prefer to avoid. We try to do so in a way that makes it safe not only for the listener, but also for the guest to tell a courageous story as an act of generosity, so that everyone with similar struggles can feel a little less alone and a little more understood. Tonight's show is part of a series on yoga and healing, and I'm going to be talking with yoga teacher Dave Emerson about yoga for survivors of trauma. And I want to acknowledge at this time that we are all, as a country, reeling from the trauma of last Friday's shootings at the Sandy Hook Elementary School in Connecticut. It feels especially timely that we can turn now to this ancient practice of yoga as a way to bring calm to our frightened and grieving bodies and minds. Dave Emerson is the Director of Yoga Services at the Trauma Center in Boston. He leads training for yoga teachers and clinicians interested in offering trauma-sensitive yoga. He's the co-author of the book, Overcoming Trauma Through Yoga. Welcome to Safe Space, Dave. Hi, Anne. Thanks so much. So I want to hear about how come yoga really matters for trauma. We think about therapy for trauma as being about telling the story, feeling the feelings. How is it that moving your body and doing yoga matters for trauma? Well, I think in terms of our understanding of the trauma center, Trauma really is a body experience. So the fallout of trauma is in our bodies. Talking about trauma is one one approach, but it does lack that visceral experience. And yoga is something that will bring the body right into the mix very directly. Does it bring you back into that visceral experience? No, it's, it's really not about reliving the past. In fact, it's about being present. So the the body work that we do is learning how to feel yourself as it is right now and make choices about what you do with your body right in the moment. So it's very present moment focused, I'd say. I see, as opposed to kind of reliving the past. Right. You talk about and you write about trauma-sensitive yoga and as if that's something different from yoga. So I'd love to hear, what does it mean for yoga to be trauma-sensitive? Right, when we started to think about this about a decade ago, we realized we have to modify most of what happens in your average yoga class in order for it to be a safe experience for people who've had uh, really complex trauma histories. So very simply, just to give you an example, most yoga classes that take place involve physical touch or cis, and we, we learned pretty quickly that teachers putting their hands on people in our classes was just not it wasn't going to work. It wasn't a safe thing to do. So we don't do any physical assist, for example. And I understand from just from reading that there's actually a number of other modifications you make in terms of moving really slowly, not using straps in case that's frightening to people. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, what, what we do with our body and how we manage ourselves as, as teachers in these environments really matters. So a lot of yoga teachers move around, and actually we're taught to move around in our yoga teacher training. Move around the room, you know, put your hands on people, let them know you're there. And we learned as well, especially with really complex trauma, it's important to be in one place. People always know where to find us and you know what to expect of us. So creating predictability uh, and consistency is more important than uh, moving around and 
touching people. The thing I found really intriguing was this idea of how you work with time and kind of when you're talking about the predictability of where the teacher is, tell me a little bit about also the predictability of when the pose is going to end, because that interested me a lot. One serious problem with trauma is we really lose a sense of, of the flow of time, that things begin and end, especially bad things or challenging things. In yoga, it's about challenging things. So let's say a, a form that creates some intensity and some muscles. For people we work with, a feeling intensity like that in their body is often very quickly a trigger. So people will start to feel like they're unsafe. What we try to do is help people understand what's happening. They have a muscle engaging. And then we try to put some time frame around it. And we use this technique called a countdown where we just count off a little period of time, three seconds or five seconds or something like that. So people know that there's an end coming to this experience. So they can always stop anytime they want to, but they could also experiment with holding something a little bit challenging, breathing, and then watching it end. And we, we as teachers really try to pay attention to that ending moment too and help people notice when that happens. That's very powerful. I, I wouldn't intuitively have thought to do that. How did you discover that, Dave? That's part of the collaboration with clinicians, um, and particularly for me, it's my mentor at the trauma center is Bessel van der Kolk, and he's got a very sophisticated and deep understanding of trauma. He's developed it as a clinician and as a neuroscientist for several decades. So for me, it was conversations with him and other uh, clinicians about, you know, our clients have a, there's a problem with time, and people are always experiencing trauma, bad things haven't ended. You know, our bodies, our organisms are still reacting to the trauma sort of paradigm. And that's a lot of what the suffering is. We really just living in the present is not a natural thing if we've survived uh, these really complex traumas. So trying to figure out ways to help people become present was, was a really important thing. So interesting to think about trauma and having a problem with time. You know, in my office, I would say almost every day, I'm a talk therapist, not a yoga therapist. People say, I can't believe I'm still talking about something that happened to me, you know, when I was five. I'm such and such an age now. I should be over it by now. And there's such right. a a feeling of time, of not being in control of time or shame in a way for having problems with time. Right. I, I, I agree. And I, I've I hear the same thing as a yoga teacher, and I hear it a lot from my you know, clinician colleagues. The beauty of yoga is we don't have to talk about we don't have to talk about time and shame and so forth. We can just experience time in these forms, like really like discrete yoga forms. When you say form, you mean you mean asanas? You mean postures? Asanas, the postures. Yeah, exactly. So you just take a little one posture, and you experience it beginning and ending. And then you do another one, you know, and it begins and ends. And we, what you're doing is working with time and beginnings and endings, but you don't have to talk about it um, as a concept. You know, you can experience it as a thing. It intrigues me to hear how much of what you do is really born of this relationship, this collaboration with therapists, with Bessel van der Kolk, who's been a guest on this show also. And I'm curious if you might take a step back now and actually tell me a little bit about how... The Yoga for Trauma program, how did it get started at the Trauma Center? What, what, tell me, how, what was your initial inspiration? Well, for me, 
one of the key inspirations was I live around the corner from a wet shelter here in Cambridge, and the wet shelter is a place where homeless people can stay even if they're active drug and alcohol users. I had a yoga studio, actually, that uh, I would see the usually men and some women. They'd leave the shelter early in the morning. I started to talk to a few folks and many Vietnam veterans, many Vietnam veterans. And when we started to gear up for the war in Af- Afghanistan and then Iraq, I just knew we were going to start seeing the kids soon, the young people. That was kind of the spark, ultimately. And well, what made you think that those those kids, as you call them, the Iraq and Afghanistan vets as they return, what made you think that yoga would be of help to them? Well, then there's a personal piece to it, and just knowing the benefits of yoga in my own body. And starting from there, I didn't want to assume it would work for everybody, but that was a starting piece. So in terms of connecting with the trauma center, it was, look, I'll start teaching here if you guys will start to study this. And we, so we can have an empirical view of what's going on. So tell me about that. So they've been studying, and what are, what are you finding? So we've always been studying. I've done two pilots and just recently finished the first grant ever given by the National Institute of Health to study yoga and trauma. And we've been finding, particularly this last study, clinically significant reduction in PTSD symptomology just based on adding yoga. So no, not trauma processing, just this kind of trauma-sensitive yoga that we do. So people's symptoms are decreasing. And can uh, you quantify it? Yeah, that's right. It's quantifiable based on the clinician-administered PTSD scale. I see. Uh, so you have a kind of a pre- and post-scale that'll tell you that without talking about it or processing the story or going back into the memory at all, just doing yoga, people's symptoms improve. Exactly. So tell me a little bit about what what are some of the symptoms that you do see a decrease in when, when you study it? What are the changes you're concretely seeing? The most significant one, I think, for us and for clinicians is a decrease in dissociative experiences. So with the kind of complex trauma that we work with, people are dissociating all the time. And dissociation, as, as we know, uh, is a survival mechanism, and it, and it can work very effectively to keep us keep us alive, you know, keep us going. But at a certain point, it's very difficult to live life if we're constantly dissociating. And what else do you see? What else do you see improving? So the whole symptom array decreased. Two months post, two months after the yoga study ended, people came back in and did the cap scale again. And 52% of the yoga group didn't qualify for PTSD. So that's you. So the CAP scale is a PTSD scale, rating scale. Right. And you're saying that two months after they stopped doing yoga or two months while they were doing yoga the whole time? Two months after they stopped, after the yoga study piece was over. A group that had formerly qualified as having PTSD now no longer did. Right, more than half. So that's huge. It, is, it really is significant, yeah. It's significant material. I mean, all we can say is it's the way we do yoga, and there are some very specific uh, approach and themes that we use uh, in terms of guiding people and directing attention, Uh, but through that practice, we're seeing clinically significant reduction in symptoms. So tell me about those themes. I understand there are four themes that guide your practice of yoga, and let's start with the first one. What's the first theme? Well, for me, I really think the cornerstone is the practice-making choices, so we're trying to give our students very real opportunity to make choice with what they do with their body. 
and again, the yoga practice lends itself so well because you have these forms, you know, and you can take one form at a time, give people several options and choices within each one, very real choices. You know, you can move your neck in this way or this way. People get to choose. And we think of trauma as an experience of just having an extreme lack of choice. All the bad things happen, even though everything about you did not want them to happen. They happened anyway. And with yoga, we try to reestablish a sense of efficacy. I can make choices. I can feel the results in my body. I can recognize that, and then I can move on to the next one. Now, are there ways that you help people do that? Because I go to yoga classes, and the teacher always <clears throat> says, you know, feel free to modify, and if you're, this is too much, feel free to go into child's pose or a restful pose. Yeah. If this is too much. But nonetheless, there can be an internal pressure to, you know, perform well or try the hardest thing or not feel weak at having to go into child's pose when no one else has to. How do you help people really make those kinds of self-care choices in the, in the context of a group where there's a little peer pressure to, you know, do well? Great question, observation. I, I have the same experience as a yoga student. I think we all, we all do. We have to be really mindful of that as teachers. And, and we've gotten tremendous feedback from our students over the years. So we're constantly learning, constantly paying attention to this. And the, the idea, the approach is to really be clear that there isn't one way that's best. We have to really know that in our minds as yoga teachers. We're just trying an array of options. So we may give people clear examples of, let's say, three different things they could do with a form, but we, tr- we really consciously tr- don't uh, organize in a hierarchical way. So there's three different choices. You can notice what they feel like, and then you choose for your body what what you feel, what you want to do with this. That's so wonderful that you managed to make it non-hierarchical, because I know my experience sometimes in yoga class is like, well, here's step one, you know, and the implied message is sort of like for the beginners. Yep. Here's step two, which is fancier and harder. And then, hey, for the superstars among you, here's step three, which is really fancy and sort of contorting your body. And the hierarchy is not subtle. No, you're right. And then I think for me, too, because I'm sort of a tight person and my body is pretty stiff in a lot of ways. I always felt that, too. And I, I sit well with this kind of practice personally because... I've had that, that experience repeatedly over the years, too, of not real, not being able to do the fanciest variation of most forms. And, and then sort of questioning, like, really, what does that mean? You know, why is it more important that I do something that you want me to do or you decide is more advanced as opposed to what I feel in my own body, you know? Right, so we bring our reference point from the outside to the inside. Exactly. That's, that's the switch. It's not about trying to create something external. It's about... Being, starting to be able to relate to your internal experience and make choices based on what you feel. So interesting, Dave, because I would say in my work, often I'm telling uh, therapy patients, you know, well, they want to know, well, what is therapy really? How does it work? And one of the universal themes of almost all psychotherapy is bringing our, our reference point from outside to inside. Mm-hmm. And I'm so, it's so interesting to hear that that's actually what you're doing too, just through a, in such a different way. Well, I think that's also, you know, speaks to the partnership between yoga teachers and clinicians. I mean, the work we do with trauma-sensitive yoga is very much embedded in the therapeutic milieu so that we're taking most, many, many of our cues from, like, therapeutic goals, for example. 
And but how would you know what those are? I mean, in, people don't bring in their individual therapy goals to you as the yoga teacher, do they? No, but I mean, in a general way, creating the relationship between therapeutic goals and the, the trauma-sensitive themes, for example. I would I would suggest that of those four themes that we're talking about, they correlate closely to many therapeutic goals in, I see. in the sort of trauma therapy. I see. So before we move on to theme number two, although I want to make sure we cover all of them, I want to just say one last thing about the first one about making choices. What about... I can imagine there are some people from they want to make the ultimate choice, which is actually to leave the class. Like exactly. they get so triggered, it's feeling so overwhelming and intense. They have to get the hell out. Right. Now, is that a choice that you offer? Absolutely, absolutely. And I work with a lot of teenagers in residential programs, and you know, number one choice is whether or not you want to do this. And then even once we start, it's like, hey, you can always stop anytime you want. And do you find that people do? I mean, do people get up and leave your class? Very rarely, and I also should say that with with the teens, I usually work one-on-one with them. Ah. So it's a little bit different of a model than than sort of a class setting. It's uh, shorter one-on-one sessions, but, I mean, what will happen is kids will decide whether to come or not, and then some weeks they'll come, some weeks they won't, but I would say by and large, once once they decide, yeah, I'll give it a try today, they usually stay. I can imagine it would be awkward with a whole, you know, a mass exodus of teenagers leaving the yoga class yeah. all at once. I that know. could get tricky. Okay, so tell me now, what is theme number two? Theme number two is present moment experience. So we sort of we talked a little bit about this, but it's the idea that with trauma, if we've experienced complex chronic trauma over time, then we really we end up being stuck in that experience, and it's hard for us to be able to live without being drawn constantly back to that. Not just the way we think, but the way our body reacts, the way our brain is responding. We're always reacting to past conditions and to trauma. And for a lot of people we work with, that they describe it, that's being part of the major part of the suffering. So we try to help to use yoga to help people practice being present. So the, just so I'm clear, the major part of the suffering you're speaking of is constantly being having flashbacks or terrible yeah. memories yeah. sort of being drawn inexorably back or having the past intrude upon the present exactly yeah and I mean, we think of it as a body thing really it's not so much the idea of the past it's that my body is still responding as if i'm under attack you know that my organism and that's where like neuroscience has made some great contribution the past decade or so we can see our brain is actually responding as if we are threatened not as if we're sitting safely in this room. Or people will describe to me, for instance, like they feel this sense of overwhelming dread in their body. And right. And they can't get free of it. Is that what you mean? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So that that would be, I mean, Bessel sometimes talks about it, and I think others, as being hijacked by the past. Your body or your organism is constantly hijacked by the past. So how does yoga help defeat the hijackers and help a person be in the present? Right, so whereas a therapist maybe can talk with somebody about where they are and, you know, that you're in a safe place, with yoga, we just practice feeling our body. It's very physical. For example, like my favorite one is either standing or sitting and just noticing your feet on the ground. And so you can notice by looking and seeing, possibly, or just or feeling. So we may take a minute and just kind of 
place our feet flat on the ground. And then if you like, notice your feet. You can shift your weight around a little. Maybe feel the pressure shifts. Um, some people like to move their toes around a little bit, possibly feel some texture. So that kind of an investigation, noticing what we notice, that's present moment. The other thing I always I try to note for people, though, is we don't always feel, and it's okay, it's normal to not always feel ourselves like that. It's the exercise of noticing what we notice, basically. I see. So it's not it's not an expectation that we'll be that aware of the state of our toes at every given moment. <laughs> yeah, that's right. not yeah. that's not the criteria for recovery. No, right. exactly. It's just we notice what we notice, and I've worked with a lot of people over the past ten years, and and sometimes we we won't feel that person might not feel that, but they could feel their hands making contact with the floor or something else. So we we just investigate until something is feelable, essentially, and then start there. And so. Let me take a step back. So for people who've been very traumatized, sometimes just being aware of the body isn't itself terrifying. Yeah. I know Bessel van der Kolk is famous for saying, you know, the body can become the enemy, that the body is what was done to in some levels. The body is where physical pain can be stored, but it's also where the sense of dread and terror and shame can be experienced. Right. So how do you, I can imagine that for some people who are traumatized, even sensing their feet is a little threatening, even being in the body at all. And are there sort of like pre-yoga classes that you, are there things that you do to help people even be able to get into the room? Well, everybody we work with is in therapy. And there are some people who take three, six months talking to their therapists, maybe doing a little bit of yoga in the therapy office before they come to any, any session with a yoga teacher. So that is certainly not uncommon. I think that's helpful to know because I think uh, my concern even in doing this show is that some people might feel like, what's wrong with me? I can't even do yoga. Because I imagine that for some people it's just so threatening. Absolutely. And I I would also say that, you know, most yoga classes out there are, I would call them counterindicated for people who have survived complex trauma. They're mostly not safe places, I would would say. You know, I... In other words, I wouldn't just recommend to somebody, go ahead and go to yoga class. It'll be good for you. You know, that wouldn't be an appropriate response, I don't think. They yeah. may find a yoga class they like. That's great. But most of them are are um, are just not safe environments for people who have experienced complex trauma. We need you to hurry up and train more people, Dave. <laughs> yeah, we're working on it. We have time just to hear the two last remaining themes. I really want to hear what is what is we've got making choices. We've got present moment awareness. What's the third theme? Taking effective action. And again, it's a body-oriented thing. We think about trauma as an experience of feeling ineffective. And especially if the people we work with, and I should be clear about this too, we work with a complex trauma or chronic tra- trauma. So that's that's longitudinal. Those are things that happen over time instead of one-time events. If we have experiences where we're consistently harmed, threatened, neglected repeatedly over time, we start to feel like we're ineffectual in our, especially our body. We haven't been able to keep ourselves safe as how it feels and how people talk about it to us. My body failed me. It didn't keep me safe from these experiences. So we try to use yoga as a way to start taking actions that are effective. And the form, some of them are really perfect for this. For example, there's a back bend 
where you start. It's called baby cobra, where you start like you're about to do a push-up on the ground, so there's pressure on your rib cage. You can imagine that. Mm-hmm. And then you just lift your chin and your shoulders and your sternum, like your upper, upper body off the floor. You still have your rib cage on the ground. So you're engaging your back muscles. But the other thing is that pressure. And the yoga teacher could say, you may feel some pressure on your rib cage here. Notice how that feels. You have a choice. You can experiment with either keeping the pressure there and breathing, or you can press through your hands a little bit and to relieve that pressure. And notice how that feels. And, and then you could, it could be an invitation like, notice how that feels. Can you breathe better when you do that? And if someone says, yeah, I, I breathe better. I feel more comfortable when I lift my whole rib cage off the ground. Then the yoga teacher can actually say, well, notice that you're using your shoulders there, using muscles in your shoulders now to lift your rib cage when you press your hands down. And then it's a whole process of, oh, my shoulder muscles function, and it makes me feel better. And that's taking effective action. So there's this embodied kind of experiential moment of of seeing that I am able to make myself less uncomfortable. I can help myself here. Exactly. In a way that I couldn't before. Yeah, in a new way. And and it's not intellectual. It's a a body-based experience. The yoga teacher can sort of frame it. I would say the yoga teacher doesn't even have to frame it as an intellectual thing. It's just notice that your body can do this. You can make these choices. You can change things. And that your body can do this. Which brings us to the fourth theme. What's the last theme that guides your classes? It's creating rhythms. And we talked a little bit about time earlier. That's one of the rhythms that we're attending to, recreating a sense of a beginning, middle, and an end, especially to challenging things. But other things about rhythm are, I I really take a cue from Judith Herman on this one, who she writes about trauma as being this really isolating experience. No one understands me. No one knows what I've been through. Very true. It's ultimately this sense that I'm alone in the universe. And with yoga, we try to do things together. And there are many rhythmical actions we can do together where you don't have to talk about the idea of not being alone. You can just do some things together and recreate the sense of rhythmical interaction with other human beings. And those are things like inhaling, chanting OM together, moving in concert. Is that what you're talking about? Exactly. We don't, we don't chant. In our classes, we have had survivors of cult abuse and we, we got the advice from them that we should just take uh, some of the chanting and all that stuff out of it. So we have, we've heeded that advice, but we do physical actions together. Like for example, breathing in and raising your arms and breathing out and bringing your arms back down. Just kind of a repeated action like that where we can breathe and move together. That would be a rhythmical interaction. And it's also, I would imagine, also inside yourself, too, that you're moving while breathing. So there's like a reconnection of breath with movement. Yeah, exactly. Call that with intrapersonal, where we're kind of attending to our own sense of movement through the world. A lot of people we work with either talk about it or just kind of present in a very stilted way. You know, I live my life in a very regimented way. I walk through the world and I don't flow. I feel stiff and robotic, and you can see it in bodies too. So we we can use yoga as a way to reestablish just this internal sense of flow and rhythm. Dave, we have to stop. I want to say thank you so much. I've really learned a great deal from you today. 
Well, thanks so much, Anne. I really enjoyed it. And I'm going to be looking for trauma-sensitive yoga teachers here in Portland, Maine. Um, if people want to find a trauma-sensitive yoga teacher in their area, do you have a find a yoga teacher section on your website? We don't at this point, but people are welcome to contact me at the trauma center. How can they do so, Dave? My email is demerson at jri.org. Okay, so that's demerson at jri.org, and I encourage people to read Dave's book, which he co-authored. It's called Overcoming Trauma Through Yoga. Thank you so much for being my guest on Safe Space. Thank you, Ed. My thanks tonight to Jen Hodgson for mixing the sound, Maurice Lennon for the music, and especially to Deb Cook, who is a local Kripalu yoga teacher and the founder of Yoga in Maine. She offers classes, workshops, and retreats in beautiful places here in Maine and beyond. She has been the consultant to this whole series on yoga and healing. If you'd like to email this show to a friend or listen to it in its entirety, if you only came in for part of it, please go to www.safespaceradio.com. You can email subscribe there to get to get the weekly announcement for each show with a link to it. You can also download the show from iTunes and you can like us on Facebook. <laughs>